Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Et on varie un petit peu avec ce coup franc joué à deux Martinelli pour venir adresser un centre, le second poteau avec Chaka, le retrait pour Saliba William Saliba un but formidable This is Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you, Andrew. I thoroughly enjoyed that intro, I must say. It's good. I have it. I have like, if anyone wants this, I've got this sort of looping around in my head, but also looping around in real life too, so. Just that. Yeah, yeah. That little uh, riff. Yeah. It's there. It's going to be in my head forever and ever and probably ever, uh, much like it's probably in your head this morning and everyone listening to this. Yeah, I think so. I mean, even last night, sort of hours after the game, I found myself kind of humming that chant to myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Arteta said the players were singing it in the dressing room afterwards, which doesn't surprise me. No. It's a, it's a great chant. Hats off to the away fans who were in fine voice all evening yeah uh, but that's a particularly strong piece of work from them it is you know particularly when you know it went on for about 15 minutes non-stop i could see people on twitter going please stop now please stop and it's not because it's not a great chant but they know that the you know something going on like that for ages and ages and ages is just going to stick in your brain it's it's the uh, classic earworm i was uh, after the game yesterday it's the mug smasher's birthday today right. um so happy, happy birthday to him and also happy birthday to uh, our friend Tayo Papula. It's his birthday as well. And I only know that, of course, because it's, um, it's the Mug Smasher's birthday. So I went into town last night afterwards, um, after the game, after I've done my bits and pieces for a mm. few drinks, met him. We're in a, a bar that we go to uh, on Camden Street quite a lot. And we'd been there, I don't know, there a couple of hours. A guy walks past me, taps me on the shoulder and goes, fucking great result. I was going, yeah, fucking brilliant. And he walked off <laughs> and that was that. Um, walked into the bathroom a little bit later on and the same guy whose name is Brian. Hello, Brian, uh, who wanted a shout out on the podcast this morning because he, he, he who was there last night. He was in the toilet and was like, yeah, fucking great result. And then another mate of his, I think, was there and then... The chant broke out. So it was like, and we're there in the toilet, and there's another guy sort of standing at the urinal going, What the fuck is going on? What's going on here? Saliba! Wow. In the toilets. Incredible. I don't normally tell the stories of the gentlemen I meet in bathroom toilets. You know, I, yeah, exactly. 
I very rarely uh, go into that much detail, but it was it was good fun, and <laughs> I guess it just sort of tells you how how catchy that tune was, and uh, yeah. what a good mood everybody was in. Absolutely, yeah. I think uh, it, it summed up the afternoon, and yeah, summed up the the game really. And I think um, I think I'm going to have to put you outside, Val. You're oh, really noisy. Uh, no, she's okay. Don't. Is don't. She? She's okay. She's just it making just little snorkel like sounds, farting and burping. But it's actually my dog. Well, breathing. this gives you free license to let That's off true, whatever actually. noises you want during right. this podcast, and then blame them on the dog. All right, try to be quiet, Well, try your best. So, yeah, I think it was, it, it, I think that will be the sound. If Assuming we can keep winning, I think we're going to hear a lot more of that. What chart. do you mean assume? I mean, are we not just going to win every game from here on in for the rest of eternity? Because that's what it feels like. It does feel quite like that. <laughs> um, and, and that may well be the soundtrack to this title winning campaign. <laughs> um, it was a very nice day out. It looked anyway at Bournemouth. I wasn't there myself. And, mm. yeah, um, I'm sure all those travelling fans had an absolute whale of a time on the South Coast. I, 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 did I say this to you? I, um, or was it to Andrew? I can't Andrew Allen. But like the the fans, of course, everyone is like in a great mood when you're winning and when the mood is good and there's a feel-good factor around the club at this moment in time, which is undeniable and it's absolutely great. But like it feels in the last sort of six to 12 months that the Arsenal songbook has like had a complete refresh there's yeah. so many new songs, so many new chants. I mean, even Granite Xhaka, after six years at the club, got his own song yesterday. The first time I've ever heard, like, people what sing. What was his song? Do it was remember? like, it's, you know, the Glad All Over that Crystal Palace sing. Oh, yeah. It's like, we've, we've got, got Granite Xhaka, we've got Granite Xhaka. So, like, I think that speaks to the mood, but it's also, it's sort of part of everything that's going on, isn't it? This, this, um, this sense and this development of the connection that we've spoken about many times between the team and the fans, and it's been cultivated and very deliberately so by the manager who's played, you know, a big part in, in making it happen and insisting that it happens. But it's all tied into like, like nobody would be singing songs if the team wasn't good or the players weren't good or that, you know, you didn't like them. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's great. It really does feel like something new i don't want to say like the dawn of a new era because that's a bit like it's a bit a uh, movie trailer or whatever you know what i mean but it, it does feel something like that does that make it sense does. yeah it does and you're right i mean the songbook has been refreshed um and i think a lot of that is to do with that burgeoning connection between the fans mm. and the players but also the squad's been refreshed i mean it, it was interesting yesterday was the first game back at bournemouth since arteta's first match in charge yeah. right and you look back at the team we played that day, it was Leno in goal, Maitland-Niles at right-back, Socrates and Louise at centre-back. Yeah. Saka played, but he was wearing number 77 and he was at left-back. Shaka played in midfield next to Lucas Torreira. And then it was Reese Nelson, Ozil and Aubameyang behind Lacazette. I mean, you know, Mustafi came off the bench that day. It was a very, very different-looking Arsenal mm. squad. And there's just been a massive turnover um, and uh, yeah, a, a change in feeling, refreshing the squad has refreshed, I think the connection and yeah, the way the supporters feel about the team yeah. and yesterday kind of, you know, it was a comfortable afternoon, which is obviously, you know, it's going to elicit that sort of response, right? Yeah. Because the fans can relax and have a good time.
Can I just, um, uh, be before we go on and start talking about the game, uh, just a shout to uh, Tim, Tim Stillman, whose video I, I nicked the Saliba bit for, uh, for the intro, and I meant to give him a shout out there. So a uh, great video. If you check Tim's timeline, you can see the Arsenal fans going to town on, on that particular song. So look, an unchanged Arsenal side, um, unsurprisingly unchanged, and a really bright, positive start with two goals in, in the opening. Was it? 11, 12 minutes, something oh, like that, which does yeah. sort of set the tone, doesn't it? And it's it's um, it's nice to see Martin Odegaard get on the score sheet because, look, he didn't have his best day against Crystal Palace. I thought he was good against Leicester. And people have been talking about him a bit, um, you know, to, to step up. And I think I saw somebody say this the first time he scored two goals since he was playing in Norway. And that mm-hmm. could be, I don't know how many years ago that was because he... Uh, he signed for Real Madrid when then. he was six, didn't he? Yeah, you know, so. yeah. <laughs> <Basically>. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, and uh, yeah, great to see him in those areas in the box. Um, I actually think the finish on this one is slightly better than it looks. Yes, you know, I agree. It, it yeah. looks like a tapping, but he has to really shuffle to get his feet in the right position. I mm. think lesser players might have made more of a meal of that chance, but really, this goal is although know, Odegaard's goal is all about Gabriel Jesus. Right? I mean, the the physicality to mm. sort of body the central defender out of the way and at the same time or almost in the same movement to kill a ball that is coming from about 64,000 feet in the sky. Like it was a bit of a weird, did it take a deflection from Ben White? I'm not sure, but it went looped right up in the air. I think right it was off his up left foot. I'm yeah. not sure if it took a nick or not. Right. No, no, no. It was just outside of his right boot and he just sort of smashed it up in the air. <laughs> um, but then we saw Jesus bring down a goal kick, didn't we? Against Leicester from Ramsdale, really expertly using his strength and his control. That close control and that dribbling ability, I said it last week, but that's really been the, the aspect of his game that's taken me aback. Um, but I love the bump as well, the yeah. bump centre-half before the ball arrives. What, what do you think about it? I mean, I know um, there's been some discussion and been some debate about needing a bit more physicality maybe in the number nine position, not necessarily as the starter, but as as an option but when mm. you when you see Gabriel Jesus I mean is there anything he can't do <laughs> I mean he can uh, he can dribble he can head he can uh, win the ball with his back to goal he can finish he can bring others into play he can create assists I mean what 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 can't he do I mean if we were to just sort of set him there and, and give him a hot air balloon could he just step in and pilot that to to expert level I think he probably could you know Probably. I mean, that was the thing about signing him. He was the guy who ticked the most boxes and, you know, he wasn't over six foot, but they still felt that he could do a lot, most of the jobs required of a centre forward in this team. And so far, I mean, it's been a a, a, a genius move. I mean, the way yeah. in which he's settled into the team and he looks like he's gone to another level individually. Um, the fact that he came out of this game without a goal was obviously oh, really yeah. unfortunate, but his performance was... Excellent. And yeah, I loved his his play in the build-up. And he has that unselfishness as well. I mean, you know, you could see how desperate he was to score, but he also seems to really enjoy laying on chances for other people. The way in which he played in Martinelli uh, on this opening goal was very mm. neat and concise. And they've really building that partnership too. Um, so yeah, it was a, a sensational contribution. Reminded me of the opening day at Palace, you know, in the yeah, first yeah, 10 yeah, minutes yeah. Or there when he went past about three or four defenders. Yeah, he, he brilliant. Absolutely brilliant for that first goal. But I think, you know, is part of a, a really 
assured, really confident team performance. And it's been a while, I think, since I've seen an Arsenal team so full of confidence on the pitch. Like, we're capable of playing good football. You know, we know that. We know that on our day, if we turn up, you know, we can compete with the best of them. Um, But there's something about seeing a team that really believes in what it's doing. And that was evident to me, more evident to me yesterday than in the game last week against Leicester, which I think, again, was a very confident performance. But the way we passed it, the way we moved it, the way people were moving into spaces, the, what's the Mertesacker word? The automatisms, if that's the right way of describing it, the awareness of where everybody else is on the pitch while you're in the position you're in was really clear, no? Yeah, I mean, it's reminiscent of that, seen in one of the opening episodes of All or Nothing where Arteta shows the team the two diagrams, you know, of the, mm. uh, of the numbers laid out on the pitch. And he speaks about the importance of everybody knowing where each other are. Um, and you could see that. I think Arsenal really benefiting from consistency of selection and developing those on-pitch relationships. And actually, that's going to be a really interesting test is when we start to have more than one game a week and mm. rotation becomes almost a necessity uh, will that affect the fluency of the team? Sure. I, I, I think that's something to keep an eye on. But this was a consummate performance, a confident performance. Arsenal are better than Bournemouth. And what was really encouraging and pleasing was that they showed that. They really dominated yeah. um, from the first whistle. No, agreed completely. The um, The sort of balance of play, if you like, was very much in our favour completely i don't think bournemouth really got into our half in that in that first period um even when after we'd scored the second goal uh some of the urgency you know naturally sort of ebbed away a little bit um and maybe if there is look i'm not here to criticize anything actually about yesterday but potentially you could say that 2-0 at half time maybe could have been better uh, and I'm not saying that as a criticism, just based on how much play we had, how much of the ball we had, uh, where we had the ball, um, how often we got into their final third. Could you have turned the screw a little bit? Maybe. But look, I'm not here to complain about a 2-0 uh, scoreline at, at halftime. Martin Odegaard with the the second goal. Very nice overlap from Ben White. Cut back. Little uh, touch from Gabriel Jesus and Odegaard really smartly, quickly firing the ball into the back of the net. And I enjoyed the fact that Gabriel Jesus celebrated that almost as much as if he scored it himself. I, I, I think that's the unselfish element of Jesus that I was talking about. And if anything, if there's a player you want to see be more selfish in those positions, it's Odegaard. So I was pleased he took that opportunity when it came to him, finished really emphatically. And it was interesting to see Ben White as well, you know, overlapping into that position. We've seen him do a lot of tucking in, underlapping, mm. playing inside, but not so much of him playing a one-two and going on the outside of the fullback. So I thought it was interesting. And it was actually a very good pullback once he got into that position. It sure was. And uh, you were saying last week, you know, we were talking about Arteta, talking about Ben White really liking uh, the role that he plays mm. there at right back. Um, you know, because he played most of last season as the as the centre half. Um, you're maybe a bit more involved on the ball, a bit more involved in the opposition half when you're playing as a, a right back, particularly in the role that you have when you're a, a fullback in Mikel Arteta's team. And it, it does seem to suit him, doesn't it? 
I think so. I mean, there were a few crosses into the box from deeper positions that weren't exactly um, Trent Alexander-Arnold quality. I think he's still <laughs> adapting to some of the demands of the role. But I, I think, yeah, he's very involved. And, you know, a lot of those crossfield passes he's playing from deep really suit his game. Um, and, uh, you know, I think his combination play with Saka was actually pretty decent. You mm. know, nice one-two to get into that position for the second goal. So, yeah, I thought this was a, an encouraging performance from White. I mean, I saw you tweeted this morning, my, his fa- my favourite <laughs> contribution of his to the game, just a completely needless <laughs> kick out at a Bournemouth player. Yeah, I mean, I and he's just laughing while he does it. I, I, I like that part of his game, you know. I, I've, we've highlighted it before, I think. You know, some, some little snidey bits when, you know, he's um, he's just sort of, playing around or pushing the opponent and sort of acting innocent and, and those kinds of things. I, I really like Ben White. I like his character. Um, I don't know. There's just something. <laughs> I'm just watching it here. <laughs> he kicks him, then starts laughing, and the ref comes over. And it's just like, like it, by rights, I suppose the ref could do something about that, but they're having a good laugh together. So, yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. I don't know if I would like it if I was an opposition fan or whatever, but like as an Arsenal fan... I really enjoy Ben White and what he brings to the team. Um, but while, while we're sort of there and while we're on that side, can I just ask you a little bit about Bakayo Saka? Because, you know, people have spoken about him uh, this season and maybe not quite being at his top level. And I do think there is something to that, that he's not quite found his form yet, which is fine. Not everybody has to be in form at the same time. But um, did you notice, like, how many men Bournemouth put out there as soon as he had the ball. Like, they were yeah. doubling up and tripling up on him at times, which makes his job an awful lot more difficult. But then it does leave space, if we can move the ball quickly, for other players, which I think Absolutely. is part is part of what we're doing, you know? And I don't think it's coincidence that that second goal came from mm. a situation where White overlapped Saka and, you know, took advantage of some of that space in behind. And on the left-hand side, it meant Martinelli and Zinchenko and mm. Xhaka were all getting a bit more room. I, I, yeah, I really, I'm really not worried about Saka's performances. I think, um, I think it would be an exaggeration to say he's been bad. I just think he's been slightly short of his best level. But there was a moment in the first half where he was kind of combining with Odegaard on the right-hand side of the penalty area. And I sort of had a flashback to last season and feeling like, at times, that was kind of our only attacking weapon. Mm. And I sort of felt this enormous relief of like, well, now there are so many different ways that we can threaten the opposition or that we can try and score goals. We're so much more diverse in our attacking threat. Um, and I and I really only reflect on that as a, a positive thing. I'm sure there will be points in the season where Saka is going to make massive contributions. Um, and I thought it was interesting he stayed on quite a long time yesterday, Saka. You know, it's almost like I felt that maybe they're trying to sort of play yeah. him into... Waiting for a moment, or, like, or, yeah. like. Um But, and, and he might feel some frustration, maybe, on a personal level, because, you know, I think he's one of those players who keeps an eye on his numbers and he'll be looking at other scoring goals and wanting it to be him but yeah his time this season will absolutely come and our our reduced reliance on him is uh, a good thing yeah and and using the opposition's focus on him to give us more options elsewhere Mm -hmm. is you know is is smart um and it only works of course if you've got good players 
to fill those roles. And we have good players filling those roles, you know, with, with Jesus, and we've spoken at length about him. Martinelli, maybe not quite at where he was against Leicester or, or indeed Palace, but, you know, still very effective, real problem for the opposition. And, you know, the... the the, what am I saying here? My brain is gone. The the midfield um, conundrum, if if you can call it that, or the the slightly off kilter way that we are playing in midfield, which I think is part of why the opposition aren't really able to deal with us as well as they were able to deal with us last season because of Granite Shaka moving forward, making those runs, those half spaces, the interchanges with with Alexander Zinchenko. But I mean, how how fast has Zinchenko become a really important part of this this Arsenal team? Very quickly, I thought he was excellent yeah. yesterday. Um, I mean, there were some very eye catching moments. That one where he's chasing back towards his own goal with yeah. the defender on his shoulder, and he just sort of flicks it away from him and out of trouble. Um, you know, I think Carl Walker said he had the best technique at Man City and we're seeing a little bit of that mm. in an Arsenal shirt now. His his technical level is exceptionally high, isn't it? It is. And the technical level of the team in general has improved. Mm-hmm. You know, even from 12 months ago, 18 months ago, there are just so many more players in this team with a, a high technical level. Like that first half was probably the most dominant in control 45 minutes of football that I can remember for for quite some time. And yeah. even though like as I said we sort of went off the boil a little bit when we were 2-0 up we didn't do a huge amount or there weren't huge chances or whatever there were some moments of course but it was really just about uh strangling Bournemouth with possession. They couldn't get near the ball. When they did get it we won it back really quickly. We were just take possession, move them around. I think that's a really, really interesting part of of what this team is becoming because we're looking at the eye-catching moments. We're looking at the goals and all of that kind of stuff and, and how much more attacking threat we have. And I love it and I think it's great. But also just the ability to control a game. What was, was it Mikel Arteta last year when he said we're 2-0 up, we need to make... 10,000 passes or 100,000 passes was that the quote something like that yeah, this is yeah. this is that that that's exactly what this is and that's what we did in that first half it is and Aaron Ramsdale was on Sky after the game and he yeah. said that the manager speaks a lot about wanting to own the ball and yeah. own the pitch um, and that's what Arsenal absolutely did at Bournemouth and I do think Zinchenko is a key part of that I mean effectively with White and Zinchenko it feels like we've got two extra midfield players on the pitch at times. And, you mm. know, with Partey, uh, Odegaard, Shaka, all dropping in and, and getting involved, it does allow us to kind of dominate that area of the pitch much more so than we had mm. previously. And as for Zinchenko, I, I just think, it, I mean, he's just a, a supremely uh, capable footballer. Mm. And it's so interesting, like all the conversation about is he a left back or is he a midfielder and where's he going to play? Where should he play? And ultimately it, it feels kind of inconsequential really because his quality on the ball is such that 
it doesn't really matter. He's just so valuable to us in our build-up and the zones in which he occupies. Yeah. It's almost kind of um, too simplistic to just say, oh, he's playing at left-back. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I know. I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure, and I'd have to sort of watch it back or, or maybe look at the heat map uh, again, but I'm almost certain that there were times where he was playing in sort of the right-sided midfield position. He he popped up there a mm. few times as well. And, and um, you know, that, that speaks to the the technical ability and the capability that he has, but also the, the fluidity in this side where if he's in there, then people are moving over and filling those gaps. I'm just going to try and look at his, um, his heat map if I can find it. It uh, did feel like that at times. I mean, you know, White was a little bit more... Um, deep you know almost as a back mm. three at times with Saliba in the middle and Gabriel to one side White to another and yes Zinchenko really spent a mm. lot of time in those midfield areas often inside of Granite Xhaka you know he was the guy who was more central more narrow and Xhaka mm. you know was sort of towards the corner of the box quite frequently um, I'm just looking at the heat map here and there's two main areas the the heatiest the yeah. hottest the hottest bits of uh, Alexander Zinchenko were just to the bottom left of the uh, uh, center circle in our half, yeah. and then just inside the opposition half, sort of on the left wing. And those okay, were his yeah. two main areas. And there, I, I wonder what Shaka's is like, actually, uh, while I think about it. I wonder, is it... Mm, just pure penalty box. Yeah, he's just you know, 100% in the penalty area. Um, it's, it's quite different. Um, but... But yeah, I mean, he's just a, a fantastic player. And look, when stuff like this happens and a player comes in and, and you know, takes the place of a player who everybody had assumed was more or less a first choice in Kieran Tierney, it, it raises questions. But I'm sort of like you with the Saka thing. I'm, I'm very comfortable with the idea that we have multiple good players in 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 uh, various positions, you know, that the season is long. We are going to have to use the full squad when Europe starts, when the EFL Cup starts, which I think is maybe next week or the week after. I can't quite remember. Uh, maybe a couple of weeks. I'm not sure uh, before we go into it because we get a uh, pass through the third round, is it, or, or second round because we're in Europe. Um, you know, the, 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 those games are going to start coming and um, we're going to need this, this full squad. So... Uh, the idea that we're like, uh, well, that's it now for Kieran Tierney. We had that conversation last year with Nuno Tavares uh, at, at one point. But there is something about the way Zinchenko plays that if I were Kieran Tierney, I'd be just a little bit worried um, about how I fit into the team in, in this system. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's listen, I, I don't doubt that Tierney's a better one-on-one -on -one defender, for example, mm. than Zinchenko. But if Arteta's philosophy is about owning the ball, owning the pitch. And if you've got possession of the ball, then Zinchenko's a better player in possession. Mm. Um, and, you know, the, uh, uh, in a game like this against Bournemouth, where you think you're probably going to be in a position to dominate the ball, it makes a ton of sense to yeah. have Zinchenko there. I think what will be interesting is when Arsenal come up against a Man City or a Liverpool or even a Chelsea um does Arteta stick to those prince guiding principles mm. or does he think, well, I've got a guy who's a more natural defender? That will be a, an interesting one to see. But there's going to be plenty of football to go around, especially once those cup competitions get away. And one of the things I liked about yesterday was, you know, Arteta used all five subs, I think, for the first time. But, you know, we had some very good players coming off the bench, the likes yeah. of Tomiyasu, Tierney, Smith-Rowe, 
I think Zambian and Ketia were the other ones. But, you know, the idea that if I told you last season, oh, yeah, Tommy Asu, Tierney and Smith Rowe, um, if I told you in the first half of last season that they would be coming off the bench rather than starting, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, we'd substantially improve the squad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, what a great position that is to be in, you know, and I love those players. I love Tierney. I love Smithrow. I love Tommy Asu. And I hope they can fight their way back into first team contention and get first team minutes because it will mean there's a really competitive environment at Arsenal. It'll mean that they're playing extremely well if they get into the team and stay there because they're keeping some really good players out. So it's it's just so positive. It feels, you know, really, really good. Um, Bournemouth made a couple of changes at halftime and they went to a back four. Mm-hmm. And I think they did have a better second half than first half. Um, I saw yeah. Scott Cardigan talking about it afterwards, um, you know, and, and saying that like they're, yeah, they made some changes, but their, their application, their mindset, their whatever was, was different. You know, they, uh, they were a bit more on it, but, uh, before they could sort of build any kind of momentum, we had, we had the goal, didn't we? We had that goal. You know, uh, yeah, yeah. I there mean, there it is in the back of my mind. What? A, uh, yeah, what I mean, goal. it was interesting because I thought Bournemouth, they were never gonna, they were always gonna be better after half time in all likelihood. I mean, you know, they really didn't compete in that first half, and I think they're going to really struggle this season. That that would be the kind of big caveat I'd put over the game yesterday. Um, but they were always going to be better, and so it was sort of an interesting test of how Arsenal would manage that and handle that. And to be honest. The third goal arriving when it did kind of did the job for them. You know, that killed the game. Yeah. Yeah. It It's a hell of a goal, isn't it? <laughs> it's a fucking hell of a goal. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, after saying, you know, when Martinelli hit that shot last week that I thought it might have been Granit Xhaka, I have to confess, <laughs> I'm not used to seeing the number 12 and knowing who that is on the pitch. So when that ball was struck off a left foot boot and ended up in the top corner, I was scratching my head thinking, who's did, wearing number 12? Did, is it Robin Van Persie or something like that? Did Granit Xhaka just play an assist for Granit Xhaka? Was he in two places at once? Yeah, another did, another big goal contribution from Granit. But um, the new they're calling him the new Gundogan. But I, um, yeah, what a hit. I mean, I, I don't know if he'll ever do it again, but it was a lovely, lovely moment. It really was. The reaction was was fantastic. Uh, you know, he was obviously delighted with his first goal and what a first goal to, to get for the club. Um, you know, similar to Gabriel Jesus, the quality of his first goal for Arsenal. But for Saliba, you know, coming off the back of the, the own goal last week, which, you know, fades into some insignificance um, on a, on a, uh, a wide level because we won the game 4-2 and three points is all that anybody cares about. But I think when you're a player and when you've done that, when you've, you know, in your own mind made a mistake by scoring an own goal, to go out then and sweep it home, I mean, the the, the action of his... um, it, it, it struck me that, like, you know when they're making the FIFA video game... EA Sports yeah. when they're doing the it's in the game but when they're doing the the motion tracking or whatever they do to get the animations for the players you know they've got them there green screen and they've got all the little like knobbly bits on them or they're wearing that special suit so they can capture the 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 action of kicking a ball I'm pretty sure that that's like now please sweep the ball with your left foot that's exactly what that is and and uh, yeah. top corner what a what a hit 
Stunning. I mean, yeah, you're a golf man and it was the perfect swing, wasn't it? From, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Libra. And, and actually, I want to give a shout out to Gabby Martinelli because it, it comes from a short free kick. Yeah. That Martinelli dribbles to the wing and crosses in. And his delivery on the day, I thought was really good. Like in the first half, we didn't really mention it, but there were a number of corners. He's really mastering that sort of flat, dangerous delivery. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that led to the ball dropping Shaka at the back post, who then um, teed it up for Saliba. And wow, what a hit. It reminded me, it was sort of kind of the reverse of, do you remember Patrick Vieira's goal against United? Yeah, at yeah, 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 yeah. It took the same kind of arc into the far top corner and again, beautifully captured by the cameras. And yeah, Saliba, it's just great to see him settling and looking happy in an Arsenal shirt. Mm. Um I wasn't sure we'd see him in an Arsenal shirt, let alone looking happy in one. And uh, the love that he's feeling from the fans and from his teammates as well. I mean, after the game, you know, both Ramsdale and Zinchenko spoke about him in such glowing terms. I think there is sort of genuinely a sense of disbelief about the age of this guy yeah. and, and the composure and the quality that he's showing. And it's something Arteta keeps emphasising too. To do this at 21 in the Premier League, it's really, really rare. It is, and it's very impressive, and it speaks to his, you know, his quality as a footballer, but also, you know, the we've spoken about the seriousness with which he goes about his work, and mm -hmm. you know, you can see that this, this, um, he's a serious guy. We've said that before, but I think what was really enjoyable yesterday was seeing that that other little side of him, you know, where he did celebrate the goal. They're all slapping him on the head, and he's having a great time, and. Um, you know, we, we, we have spoken, I think about his contract situation and all of that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, you, you'd understand like there would be a big discussion about this. Let's say if Tommy Asu had been fit for the start of the season and Mikel Arteta's decision perhaps was to play Ben White and Gabriel to keep that partnership going from last season. Which um, I don't think you could have argued. No, really. I don't think so. I don't think so. And, and, you know, we'd be having the discussion about, well, you know, his chance will come. There's going to yeah. be football to go around. Uh, there's the Europa League group stages, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a good chance we wouldn't even have seen him. At yeah, this stage. potentially, potentially. But, you know, this is what football is about. You know, when your moment comes, when your opportunity comes, are you there? Can you take it? Can you make the manager... Uh, have a tough decision to make. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, he's doing it really well. And I think the the sort of the the level of his performances, like people are talking about him because of the level of his performances. And the manager is glowing about him afterwards because of the level of his performances. I think Arsenal fans were already invested in William Saliba. No two ways about it. But they're singing his name with such gusto because of the level of his performances. And yeah. when we're thinking about the future and when we're thinking about like, where do we go with this guy or where does he go? Where does he want to go? I mean, wouldn't you be, even if you had in the back of your mind, maybe a little, and I'm not saying this is the case, maybe because of the loan spell, maybe because you enjoyed yourself at Marseille and you had a great time there and you could potentially have seen yourself staying there if he had a little bit of doubt in the back of his mind about what his Arsenal career might hold after three games and all the love that's being shown to him from the fans, from his teammates, from the manager, from, uh, you know, not that the pundits matter, but like he's being showered with praise 
from everywhere, it it augurs well if the club are really uh, going to try and tie him down to a new deal because he must feel at home now. Like after three games, yeah. he must really feel like an Arsenal player. He's got to be getting there. He's got to be getting there. He must be feeling the love. Um, mm. And the other thing to say is that, you know, one thing we know is incredibly important to him is his place in the France setup and the and the World Cup squad potentially in December. Mm. Um, and what he's doing at Arsenal now will be really helping his chances. I mean, as impressive as it was that he played so brilliantly in Ligue 1, to come to the Premier League and show that he can do it at that level too, you know, that won't have escaped Didier Deschamps' attention. No. So everything is going the way Saliba would want it right now. And it does feel like uh, a good time to be, you know, pushing that contract under his nose and saying, how about it? Um, because it, it is a priority. I think, you know, the way he's playing is going to be attracting the attention of Europe's very biggest, most wealthy clubs. Sure. And so Arsenal need to tie this guy down. And I, I like what you said about how it's his performances that are getting the attention. It's not his reputation or yeah. his transfer fee or the hype. You know, we are seeing this week in, week out in the flesh. And I mean, it's not just Arsenal fans t- are talking about it. Like you say, the pundits, the journalists, the media, more broadly, other fans, mm. everyone can see how impressive this guy is. And um, yeah, he, he's part of a really, really exciting group of players. And what about Zinchenko's reaction to the goal <laughs> as well? <laughs> it's brilliant, isn't it? It's like, um, remember when Ramsey scored the goal against um, Galatasaray? There's a yeah. shot from behind and it's like, I'd, I'd mixed it up. Um, I thought it was Sonogo's reaction, but it was actually uh, Wojciech Szczesny in goal. But Sonogo kind of puts his hands on his head as if to say, like, what the fuck what have, have I just seen? seen? And Szczesny is the same. He's just like, what the fuck? And Zinchenko's reaction is is really good, isn't it? It's just, it's, <laughs> it's yeah, hilarious. Yeah, there was some genuine... Yeah, but even even Mikel Arteta and was it Nicolas Jover on the sideline, they're both like, holy shit, like... Yeah. Brilliant. I, love I it. thought it was funny what Arteta said about, yeah, we worked on that all week in training. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I yeah. saw that in the press conference. It was very funny, actually. Um, you know, people who think he's a bit dry, he is capable of... Uh, yeah, I thought that stuff. was by his standards. I thought that was very funny indeed. Um, and I have to say, I, I, I listen, 3-0, fantastic. I've got to say, I was gutted we didn't that fourth yeah. goal didn't stand because that was a thing of absolute beauty as well it really was it really was a brilliant pass from martin odegaard j- just to set him through and it's like you were you, you were obviously watching on tv right so mm. they were showing like is uh is gabriel jesus uh, offside here's the lines and i was going did they, did someone film this on like an old fucking Nokia or something? Where? Well, I thought this was supposed to be fucking 4K. Where's the HD, you fuckers? It yeah. was so pixelated. I was like, well, you can't possibly determine one way or the other if that's offside because it's just like a blur of whatever. Surely they're going to give it, but motherfuckers, they they. Uh, I mean, they yeah, that's that one not off. The, uh, that's not what offside is for, is it? Like, it, offside is not there to prevent someone being a millimetre in front of somebody mm. else. You know, that's not the spirit of the rule. But, hey, that's yeah. the world we're playing in now. And we did, to be honest, both that and the Ben White one on the second goal 
were kind of toss ups yeah. in my mind, fifty fifty. And I guess we got we won one, we lost one. Yeah. But um, beautiful pass and beautiful finish, and you could see how frustrated Jesus well, was. Well, he deserved a goal, didn't he? He really did yeah, deserve sure. a goal. I mean, he's deserved a goal in every game he's played so far. But it would have been like a a very nice little um, bit of icing on the cake because you know a goal for Jesus and a, an assist for for Martin Odegaard. Um, and like I think when Odegaard went off, like he's. He's um, not always eye-catching, but I think he brings a level of control with him that we miss when he's not there. Um, Mm -hmm. And I know we made a number of changes. I know there's the game state and everything like that, but I did feel like after he went off, we did lose a little bit of uh, control in in the final third or certainly in the opposition half. Even if there were some chances, there was another one for Jesus, wasn't there, when when Shaka played nice him in? Pass from Shaka, yeah, yeah, very good pass from Shaka. There was a, an Eddie and Kedia shot where, you know, maybe he could have squared it, but you can understand a striker taking a shot in, in that position. Uh, Emile Smith-Rowe had a shot laid on, which was saved. So there were some moments um, in the final part of the game. And I think... 3-0, I'm not saying it flatters Bournemouth, but I, it could have been more. And it's quite interesting, isn't it, that the last two games in which we scored four and three, we can legitimately say we could possibly have scored more goals in this game. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there were more goals there for Arsenal. To be honest, I felt like if Bournemouth had got one back, Arsenal had another gear that they could probably go to. Um but we weren't really threatened. I mean, they they sort of switched to trying the long throw tactic, which was a yeah. bit of a curveball, something different, but didn't really present any great threat. Um, I, I just thought Arsenal... I, I, I saw some concern about us taking the foot off the gas. I, I, I wasn't too worried about that because I felt like if they needed to, they would have been mm. able to assert more control. But I think the Odegaard point is interesting. Um, I do think that, you know... He knits things together in sure. a way that enables us to keep possession and, and keep the ball rotating very, very smoothly indeed. Um, but yeah, all, all in all, a really, really, really good result. A really, really mm. good performance. Three wins from three. I mean, listen, it's the different fixture list we faced, but the contrast to how we felt after three games last season could not be more oh, stark. I know, it? I know, I know. The mood... This this time last season, you were going, it's only three games. It's just three games. <laughs> and now I'm going, it's only three games, but it's only 35 more to the title. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Slight exactly. difference. It's, it's interesting. It's when you win. <laughs> when you win, it's only three games. Yeah, and when yeah. you lose, it's, it's only the, three it's, games. It's the end of the world. But I, I think, um, yeah, it's it's been a really positive start. Mm. And I do think we've had a... A relatively kind fixture list, but it's the way we've played mm. as well. You yeah. know, it's not like we just edged past Leicester, and it's not like we went to Bournemouth and it was a ding dong fifty fifty away yeah. from home, and we had to bring Rob Holding on and close it out in the last ten minutes. We've won these games in a very different fashion, uh, mm. and that's very very encouraging. Can I just before we go on and and get on to part two and get uh, some of the questions in? Um, I texted you after the game because I was looking at the the post-match uh, celebration slash interaction between the players and the fans. And they went over, obviously, uh, and it's a, it's a good thing to do at any point. But when you've won 3-0 away from home and the, the fans have been 
just amazing. The Arsenal fans were just brilliant yesterday uh, throughout, you know, the singing, the various songs that we've already touched upon, the Saliba thing, of course. Um, but those interactions between the, the fans and the players, like I was looking at some, uh, some of them and they were, it looked to me anyway, like they were almost kind of taken aback with the level of, affection or enthusiasm or whatever you want to call it for what they saw on the pitch. And it's not just obviously what they saw on the pitch yesterday. It's part of the whole sensation or, or, or feeling that we've got around the club at this moment in time. But I'm wondering, did you note that as well? You know, just how they were like, this is fucking great. Let's yeah, have more I of this. You could see that in their faces and, um, I mean, some of these guys are new to it as well. Mm. You know, the likes of Saliba and Zinchenko and Jesus probably haven't experienced that because it, although it's particularly pronounced right now, it's not completely isolated. I mean, if I think back to games last season, the likes of, you know, way to Aston Villa yeah. or way to Wolves or, you know, the home North London derby, there were these big sure. hunter Wolves even as well. These big high points of emotion and connection. And I think it's really interesting... You know, something Arteta talked about when he came into the club was cultural change. And I think we often think about that in terms of inside the dressing room, inside the training ground. Mm. How do you affect, influence and change the culture of those spaces? But I think what we're seeing actually is a bigger cultural change than that. And one that has swept up the supporters, the fan base uh, and it's really nice. I mean, I know that's a very banal way of describing it, but it is just really nice. And it makes the Arsenal kind of ecosphere a much uh, nicer place to inhabit as well. No, I agree. I agree. I think that's a great point as well. Like, you know, it, it's sort of the equivalent in a way of, um, you know, when he, uh, not just Mikel Arteta, but a manager might talk about how as... Um, players and as a team you can in many ways influence the crowd right so let's say it's a North London derby and let's say in the opening minute of the North London derby uh, Harry Kane is going down the left and, and William Saliba or Ben White or somebody comes in and fucking crunches him wins the ball and sets off up the pitch with the ball and that kind of thing which um you know, it sets the mood and the atmosphere and the crowd respond to things like that. And it only works if you do the right things, right? So you can talk about cultural change. You can talk about wanting to make a connection with the fans, rebuilding that connection to have them, you know, supportive and, and not uh, jaded and, you know, like we have been. And I'm not saying that there weren't good reasons for that, but you can talk about that all day long. But unless you're actually doing the things that connect with fans on the pitch and off the pitch, it doesn't matter a jot, you know? Yeah. And and what we've seen, I think, is this team is certainly a manifestation of that desire to connect. Like, how do you connect? You rebuild, you recruit well, you bring in smart guys, nice guys, likable guys, but guys who are going to give you 100% on that pitch week in and week out, and they're not perfect, and there are going to be days when it doesn't go well, and there are going to be mistakes, and there are going to be ups, there are going to be downs. But I think if you if people are convinced that you're doing it with the right intention, you know, there is 
understanding, forgiveness, whatever it is. But it's easy to build that connection when you are convinced that these guys care as much as we do as fans. And I know for me, you know, it's a job, it's their job and all the rest of it. But it's a very specific job. It's a very unique job in a way that the way you perform, the way you play, the way you conduct yourself on the pitch has a big impact in in how people view you. And I think what we're seeing with this team and these individuals is that we're connecting with them because we we feel like they want it as much as we do. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, yes, they're nice boys. And sometimes I sort of joke, you know, you know, they're nice boys, these teams. But but once that whistle blows, that doesn't count for much to most fans, you know. Mm. It's about how you conduct yourself on the field. And I think a lot of these guys play with real courage and real commitment, and that's palpable. Mm. And there's quality as well. The three curs, Andrew. Yeah. Courage, commitment, quality. The three curs. <laughs> I, I think I think when supporters see those famous three curs, um, <laughs> they rally around that. And, yeah. you know, we have that in abundance. I mean, it's a really it's a really exciting time, I think, to be an Arsenal fan. There have been more exciting times, don't get me wrong. And, you know, I'd love it if I thought we were going to win everything this season. And I, I don't really believe that. But... You know, I think it's a really interesting group of players and the the atmosphere that exists. You know, you think back to last week and that Saliba own goal and the response to that and yeah. then those scenes at full time. I mean, there's a real connection there. And I think that can sustain you because when setbacks inevitably come, it I think it places both players and fans in a better place sure. to respond from. I agree. I agree. The three curs will see us through the season. And I, I, you know, unlike you, I believe we are actually going to win everything. So there we go. Great. Well, I'm sure people have asked about that. So we'll, perhaps we'll deal with that. In the All right. Let's take a little break here and we'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you sent to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog. Also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. You can sign up now if you like at patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. I'm going to go first today, if that's all right, if you don't mm -hmm. mind. I know I gave you first dibs last week and uh, it's still weighted very much in my favor, but... Um, I'm going to go first today. This one comes from Photonic Cannon 
on the Discord, who says, Goodly morning, gents. To what extent do you think the disappointment at the end of last season has been a motivating factor for the team? Obviously, All or Nothing gave us an insight into how hard the failure to get uh, top four last season hit the team, but could it be that it has instilled a determination to make sure we achieve it this season? It could be. I mean, you know, I think defeat and pain is one of the sort of primary learning experiences for any athlete, right? And so many people who've gone on to achieve great things in sport will talk about the early disappointments in their career mm. and how that fed and motivated them. Um, there was a quote, Aaron Ramsdale was talking to Sky after the game and said, it's crazy how our mentality has changed from the end of last season. We're more ruthless. We saw how close we came. It took a few weeks to get over and mm. hurt more because it was the others down the road. I mean, they, it will have hurt them desperately and it will have hurt anyone who's been watching All or Nothing and had to relive it uh, oh, all over again. Yeah, I know you sent me a, <laughs> a, a screen grab of you know the league table, three, point, three matches from the end of the season and the lead that Arsenal had. Uh, I almost couldn't look at it myself. Did but, I did I include the sort of weeping emoji in that? I hope I almost did. Certainly. <laughs> I, actually, I think it was just a selfie of you weeping. Um, but I think... It has to, doesn't it? It mm. has to drive you on. How else could it affect you? And um, I, I do think as well, it is that injection of winning mentality that I think looks so, so, so valuable. I mean, so, so, those two so guys who are coming from Man City have, I think, raised everybody's level. I saw your tweet. Yeah, can we only just buy players from Man City from yeah. now on? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really joking, <laughs> but no, I mean, what I mean by that is purely that. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're top of the table. No, they're not. Th we are. Oh, sorry. What I mean is, no, these guys are now top of the table, yeah. and to them, to Zinchenko and Jesus, that's just a shrug of the shoulders. That's business. You know, yeah. that's how they roll. Um, they're not going to lose their head or get carried away. Their, their expectation based on their years in England is they have to win every single game. A draw is a defeat. And that's the mentality they're bringing to London Colney. And I think for those academy kids, for the younger players we've brought in, it's such an outstanding example. And I think, you know, that's reflected in the fact Jesus, you know, he wore the armband yesterday. He's one of the three captains in the side. Mm. Having been here a matter of weeks, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it, I think last season has had an impact in that it's made the others hungry, but it also, I think, influenced the type of business we decided to do and the type of characters we decided to recruit. Sure. What do you think? No, I agree. I, look, the recruitment has been good. Those two players have been phenomenal so far. No two ways about it. But I also think that for a, for a young team in particular – the potential to use last season as a motivating factor and use that pain to drive you on is huge. Mm -hmm. um, we did a, a podcast on actually the, the All or Nothing episode seven or eight over on Patreon. I was talking to Phil Costa about this where, you know, I, I made the, the point that I don't think we go unbeaten in 2003, 2004 if we don't throw away the title the previous season at That's the end of that previous show. season, you know, the, yeah. the pain of that and, you know, uh, how big an impact 
it had look nobody knows and to do what they did you know is a remarkable achievement still um but i do think part of it was like that hurt because we should have won the title in 2002 2003 that should have been another uh, another double right mm-hmm. but because of a couple of games towards the end of the season um and some external factors or whatever we, you know united overtook us and and won the title and you know back then in particular the the rivalry between us and manchester united was so big uh it really 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 hurt to miss that title that year but i'm convinced that it played a part in in the unbeaten season similarly you know going almost all the way to i mean it's different of course you know to getting back into the Champions League. Fourth place is not the title and it shouldn't be the limit of our aspirations or, or anything like that. But I think those players really hurt. I think it really hurt them. Um, not just on an individual level. I, I think maybe, you know, the club, the manager, even if you could look at January and say, now were they right to hold fire and, and keep their powder dry, et cetera, et cetera. Like by the end of the season, we were running on empty. You know, the squad was running on empty. And, and you know, I think for everybody involved, last season should be in some ways like pin that final league table up in the dressing room kind of thing. You know, you, yeah. do, you don't want this again. You don't want this again. And I think we're showing this season so far that – you know we're really trying to uh to put that right and to go one maybe two or more better this time around absolutely just quickly i didn't see a question about mm. this but what did you make of shaka and jesus being sort of nominated as the the sort of second in command to odegaard were you surprised by those choices at all um no not really i mean shaka is to all intents and purposes one of the the big personalities in the dressing room anyway. He's a leader, naturally. Um, Whatever people might think about his leadership style or whatever, that's neither here nor there. But he is one of those, and he's well-respected within the squad. So I I think it's probably, um, you know, a good thing that that's been made slightly more formal. I think I said this to you uh, last week. I think the inclusion of Gabriel Jesus in that group is really smart. Mm -hmm. Really smart. Um, You know, there were great quotes last week where he talked about uh, believing in himself again as a number nine, that he'd lost that belief, you know, and Arsenal have gone some way to, to instilling that belief in him again, right? By convincing him, this is what we want you to do. This is the role we want you to play at this club. We're giving you this responsibility and you can be as humble as you like. You can say all the right things about not wanting to be the superstar, but, but we all know. Right? We all know what, what his job is and, and what his role is and what he's capable of, and we're seeing it on the pitch. But I think sort of cementing that with a with a dressing room position is really – I think it's really smart because it gives him that extra bit of responsibility, which I'm sure he feels on the pitch, but also off the pitch. Like he's come from Manchester City. There was an interesting little quote as well where he said, I'm not a robot anymore, and, and you could take that as like – uh, tacit criticism of Pep Guardiola's system or whatever, but like he's come from, I'm not saying a fringe role at Manchester City, but you know he's he was one of the collective there, mm-hmm. a very good part of it. But you know he wasn't a, the most high profile player, um, 
And I think now at Arsenal, he is one of the most high-profile players at the club. And you could actually probably have an argument and a discussion or a debate about, you know, who that is when you look at the talent in the team and the players that we've got, which is a great discussion to have. But but just giving him that responsibility, I think, is is really clever. And I think it's something that he will relish, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um uh, shout out to this question, Eddie Longbridge. He always comes up with some good questions. I like this. Realistically, in what month do you think we'll have the title wrapped up? <laughs> I can't get too excited, so I'm going to be cautious and say February. Um, There's a lot of that going around, all right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what Ashley Moss at, at Ashley Moss Four says: What are we making of Pepe's potential transfer to Nice? He wasn't involved, was he, in the squad? He's no. Still- no, I, I was curious to see if he would make it. I know that there was um, uh, David uh, David Ornstein tweeted about it on Friday, maybe, to yeah. sort of cement the story about uh, Nice's interest. And I was looking to see, would he be involved? Look, I think it makes sense. Um, if there isn't a buyer, I think we're left in a a difficult, unenviable position where... The player doesn't really have a future at the club. He doesn't really have the faith or the trust of the manager. He's not going to play a great deal, and it would be essentially a a wasted season. So I suppose the best that you could hope for is, you know, in the absence of a sale this summer, he has a great season at Nice and does really well for them and scores lots of goals and finds his mojo again, which would be great for him on a personal level. You know, lots of goals, lots of assists, lots of performances, lots of minutes, which kind of raises his profile. So when we get to this time next year, or maybe earlier in the summer, with a year left on his contract, there is an active market for Nicolas Pepe. And we can sell him, and he can go on, hopefully, and have a you know good career somewhere else, because I think it's been clear for a while that it's not going to happen here. So... I, I hope it all goes well for him. And obviously, if it does, I think the benefits to the club are obvious, even if we don't get a transfer fee this summer, which we might have been looking for. But, you know, I don't know how well you can sell a player who is obviously in inverted commas damaged goods, uh, you know, after a season where he barely played. So, mm, yeah, I, I think, yeah, there's a sort of sense of inevitability about this one. You know, the talks are happening and he wasn't involved. Um, it's sort of difficult to envisage him being hugely involved, whatever happens at Arsenal. Mm. He certainly wasn't last season very much on the fringes. Um, and I think, you know, it creates the possibility of Arsenal bringing in someone in that part of the pitch. And I, I do think that would be really interesting. You know, I, I was curious, Arteta used the word firepower. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we, if we want to add more firepower potentially in, in the remainder of the window. And given the goals we're scoring and the chances we're creating, the fact that he's looking at that and thinking... More firepower, add, please. Yeah, yeah. More firepower. You can't help but be excited by that as a fan. Mm. So intrigued to see uh, what they might be able to come up with in you know, this final 10 days of the window. Yeah, Game Nenny on the Discord says, who is the mystery winger? <laughs> yeah, the million dollar question. Sure I is. Mean, yeah, there's a few names in the frame, and I think if I, I do think it will be a significant purchase if it happens. I don't think Arsenal are going to bring in somebody on the cheap or somebody on loan. I think you know we're, we're talking about someone. Um, Who are the names that are doing that? Because I've seen Pedro Neto uh, mentioned, and there was one yeah. that maybe I saw last night, um, but with beer goggles, I can't quite remember who it is. 
Um, not sure. There's obviously the the guy at Villarreal. Yeah, um, not him. What's what's his name? I thought. Uh, Jeremy Jeremy Pino. Pino, yeah. Which I think is a sort of a it's one of those potential sort of market opportunities because I think Villarreal are in a position where financially it would mm. benefit them to sell the player. Um, and so that's a sort of doable deal for a, a good player. Um, I think Neto is a really interesting one. Mm-hmm. He is an excellent player. Um, signed a new contract a matter of months ago. So I think it was April or May. He signed a new contract with Wolves. Mm. Would that prohibit a sale? I don't know. Um but I, you know, I'd imagine that Arsenal would be looking at a player of his quality for sure. Um, trying to think of other names I've seen. Maybe uh, I just dreamt it. I thought there was a name, and I was going, "Ooh, that'd be nice." But I could genuinely have dreamt it. I've been having a lot of weird football <laughs> so dreams. Was it Salomon Kalou? That's it. That yeah, guy. What a player! Might. What a player! About time he he came home. Bring him home. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean it. Listen, I, I still don't think it's impossible that Arsenal don't get that player. Um, and I, I, I'm I'm only saying that because I just think the, sort of the lessons of the recent windows have been if you can't do the right deal, don't do the deal. And I think that that will be in their thoughts. But I think they'll definitely push the boat out and try. Yeah. And moving Pepe on is part of that. And in fairness to the club, I mean, on the quiet, they have shipped out a number of those bodies within the squad at this point and there's a few more still to go it's only so, a couple now isn't there? there's only really Bellerin and Maitland Niles if you put yeah. Reese Nelson in the unmovable category because of the injury he sustained yeah. yeah um and interesting that you know Arteta's confirmed that Marquinhos is going to stay with the squad I hear he's done really well I hear he's done really really well in training I'm not saying that that means the checkbook's closed and he's going to play a load of minutes. But, you know, he was such a gamble of a signing in terms of his level of experience. But people have been really impressed with him. So um, that's quite exciting too, to think we might get a look at him in, in one or two of these cup competitions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of like, who is this Christopher Ray chap? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Cabadiawari, you say? I think he, he could be a real player. Anyway, no, that's not to do Marquinhos any disservice. Um, and hopefully, Ray scored an FA Cup semi final, Andrew. Yeah, a key yeah, part yeah. Of a double win. That's not the, uh, <laughs> too hard. Um, yeah, well, look, we, we, we'll wait and see. And I think Arteta was pretty clear that they want to do something, but they're not going to do just anything. That is. That is the strategy now, isn't it? That if they can't get the player they really want, they're not going to. They're not going to just sort of compromise. Yeah, but I do think when you look at the shape of the squad and you look at the amount of minutes Saka's expected to play, mm. um, you know, I think someone who can contribute in that part of the pitch would be interesting. But we did have a question. I'm just going to jump in because Pablo Angel Cruz at We Take Steps said, Good, Goodly morning, lads. This was the first time this season where Arteta has opted for all sub five subs. Are either of you a little gutted we didn't get to see Vieira? make his debut in low-risk circumstances. Yeah, there was one on the Discord as well from Mohamed H who said, what do you make of Arteta's decision to bring Tierney on to play left-wing rather than giving Vieira his debut? Uh, and some minutes, surely five, ten minutes against Bournemouth when you're 3-0 up is a good opportunity to ease a player in. Yeah, it would have been nice, but um, look, there's a long season and he's got, you know, hopefully many years at the club. I just wonder if, you know, including him in the squad and getting him used to the match day experience and, and what have you was was part and parcel of that. He was a bit cautious about him 
uh, in his pre-game interview. It might have been his pre-game interview. Yeah, he, he downplayed he said, his, yeah. his chances a little bit. Yeah, your man said, oh, a uh, chance for Fabio Vieira to play his first minutes. And he said, well, he's only been in training a week and he 45 minutes for the under-23s. Um, so he sort of downplayed it. Um, I don't know if it would have been any different if we were 2-0 up or 4-0 up or whatever. It was a bit of an odd one to bring Tierney on to charge around up the field. Um, but like uh, Vieira's time will come. I don't, I can, I can hang on, uh, and wait and, and mm. wait for him. Like even, even in that Academy run out, there was some very silky touches. I thought his techniques outstanding. Yeah. I saw, um, I saw, uh, little flashes of it. All right. He does, yeah. he does look tidy, but you know, he's come off an injury. He's had 45 minutes of football. Maybe they just feel like he needs another, um, another week or two of training before they, they give him that debut and, and just sort of bringing him along and being part of the squad is, is part of his integration, you know? Sure, sure, sure. Uh, is it my question? It is. I think it is. Uh, Arsenal Irish Wolfhound, who's at Arsenal Irish w- one on Twitter, because you can't fit Wolfhound, says, how many games will it take to convince cynical pundits that Arsenal are back? Angry at Arsenal because we lost in 89. Steve Nichols says, we haven't had any hard games yet, but haven't Liverpool only drawn against teams that they should beat? There are no easy games in the Premier League, Andrew. That's That's the ultimate pundits cliche. (laughs) Um, I mean, look, I I think the fixtures has been quite generous. Uh, You know, Leicester, I don't think are in a great way. Um, Did they lose yesterday? They lost yesterday. They lost to Southampton. Yeah, I mean, who had had a tricky start themselves, Southampton. So, mm. um, and Bournemouth, like I say, I think Bournemouth are the weakest squad on paper in the Premier League. Yeah, I do I th- too. And I think they're going to have a really tricky time unless they have a pretty remarkable end to the window. Um, but Palace have had a pretty decent start, and we beat them. You I know, w- and- yeah, I watched. I watched their game yesterday. Um, it Did is, you? Yeah, 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 I watch. I, I was watching it yesterday um, before our game, and you know they're a good team and they're playing decent football and they've got a lot of threat. Like, look at what Zaha did yesterday. Very similar to what he did against Liverpool, as well. Same similar-ish kind of a goal. Um, left on his deal. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying that, but uh, I just. I'm just sort of putting it in the context of our own performance and how quiet we kept him mm. at home. You know, on a Friday night with, like, I have to say, the Palace fans fucking really give it loads, don't they? They make a lot of noise. There's a great atmosphere at Selhurst Park. I was watching I was watching yesterday, and they scored a goal, which was disallowed. Um, uh, VAR disallowed a goal, which would have put them 2-1 up. But then they got the penalty. There was a, <laughs> I don't know quite what happened with um, Amy Martinez. Did you see that? No, but there were some words, weren't there, after the penalty? Yeah, Zaha. there was like, Zaha, he saved the penalty and then Zaha um, put away the rebound and he must have just turned and said something to Emi Martinez who took exception to whatever it was Zaha had said. Did he say something like, did you used to play for Arsenal? Yeah. Have you ever uh, spoken about <laughs> Arsenal publicly? Do you, yeah. you know you should think about But <laughs> I was you know Arsenal gave you a fair opportunity when you were... <laughs> But I was laughing as well because wasn't there that clip um, from, was it Copa America or something like that when uh, Emi Martinez was in goal for Argentina 
and they subtitled it or whatever and there's a penalty shootout and he's wandering up and down his line he's wandering towards the guy about to take the penalty and he's going like I'll eat your mother I'm gonna kill you in your sleep all that kind of stuff that he was giving loads to the giving yeah. loads to the attacker and then all of a sudden you know uh, Wilfred Zaha says something to him yesterday and he's like oh, how dare you you shouldn't speak to me like that as a fellow professional. Uh, I thought that was quite funny. But no, uh, we've been sidetracked. What we were talking about, Palace were good. No, no. Oh, by the way, just quickly, yeah. Zaha, I wouldn't be surprised if a, a big club um, did just plump for him as a wild card option between now and the, end of the window. Really? He's in this strange contract situation. He's 29 now, but hmm. I, 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 I don't think it'd be Arsenal. Um, but I do, I do wonder. I just feel uh. like the salary will be high, but... Talent-wise, and as a sort of joker in the pack of your attack, um, mm. his ability is not really in question. No, but I just wonder if maybe the role he has at that club is perfect for him, if you know what I yeah, mean. That, yeah, that yeah. like, he is talismanic there, whereas if he went to another club and you would assume it would be, you know, with, with all due respect, maybe a, a bigger club or a more resourced club than, than Crystal Palace – you know, his role would certainly, he wouldn't be the star, if you know what I mean. I'm not saying that. Vardy at Leicester, yeah, it's sort of the perfect place for him. I'm not saying, Um, yeah, I'm not saying he needs to be the star or anything like that, but I think it suits him and I think he suits them. Um, True. And I think that the wider point I was making was just about how well we did. um, Yeah, that was a good result. Yeah, and it was Um, a good performance by Ben White at right back. Yes, very true. And I think... I mean, I think pundits are being quite fair to Arsenal at the present point in time. I sense that, you know, Arsenal and unfortunately Tottenham seem to be getting quite a good press um, in the media. Mm. Um, so it's not something I'm particularly bothered about. If anything, I sort of don't want people to go overboard and start saying, you know, our, our, our Arsenal title contenders, that that becoming a sort of mainstream sure. conversation feels like setting us up for a fall, you know? Mm. Um, whose question what, is it your question I think yeah I've got a question um, it is from the discord and it is by Easy Deasy and Easy Deasy says goodly morning gents how do you feel about Abemiang potentially joining Chelsea or Man U um, I mean I hate Chelsea and I hate Man United, and like, despite the way it ended, I, I, I like Aubameyang. I like what, you know, he did for us and helped us win that FA Cup. So, it's always unpleasant to see a player that you have a soft spot for or you quite like turning out for those fuckers. You know, mm-hmm. um, but like, I feel like as a team, like I don't miss Aubameyang. Do you know what I mean? I think we've moved on very well. And I think the team needed to go in a different direction. I think he needed to go in a different direction. Um, How do you think he would do for Chelsea? I mean, he'd probably score score goals because that's what he does. But what is he now? 33? Um, Yeah, I mean, they do. He probably will score goals. He'd score goals wherever he goes. He scored goals for Barcelona when he went there as well. Um, And inevitably... One of those goals will probably be against us, and we'll go fuck. Uh, a bit like Giroud, you know, in the Europa League final, and you're going fuck. Um, but look, I I think that's just 
the weird market that this summer is, uh, you know, it's, it's a strange kind of transfer market, isn't it? Not for us necessarily, but for other clubs, it feels like a strange market because there's so many weird deals. Like I've seen Chelsea linked with Harry Maguire. Did you see that? Mm. I don't know how true mm. that is. Um, I mean, if I was Manchester United, I would be snapping their hands off. But yeah, I you wonder know, if it's about applying some pressure to mm. to Leicester with Fofana, you know, because that's the one they really want, I think, um, which would make more sense. Tielemans on the bench for Leicester. Could you read anything into that? Um, you know, Fofana wasn't in the squad because uh, Brendan Rodgers said his head wasn't in the right place because there is the the Chelsea thing. He obviously wants to go there, um, but Tielemans. Is it a case that it was just team selection or is there anything to be read into the fact that he was on the bench? I don't think so particularly. I mean, he's yeah. not been playing massively well. Um, he, needs a, he needs a new club, I think. I think he needs to change the scene, yeah. yeah. Um, Aubameyang at Chelsea, I'd rather it didn't happen yeah, um, for same. lots of reasons. And I think he'd be decent for them. You know, it's not a deal that in the long term makes sense for them, but... I'm not sure they're a club that really think about that sort of thing. Um, And yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, I think Arsenal have provided a really, uh, you know, I think we spoke last week about this idea that really, if you're Manchester United, you should be looking at what Arsenal are doing and maybe trying to emulate it in terms of kind of rebooting the squad. And then they've gone out and spent 60 million on a guy who's 30 and given him a five-year deal. Um, I'm sure Casemiro do well, you know. I love love Ancelotti's uh, quotes about about that. It reminded me of, um, remember Mrs. Merton? When she interviewed Debbie McGee, what was it that first attracted you to millionaire Paul Daniels? It was a bit like <laughs> what that. Did what did said? Ancelotti like? said like something about, um, well, I can understand why he's made the move from an economic perspective or something like that. Right. Economically, I can understand, but you know, why would he swap the European champions for a team that's uh, a team that's struggling? And look, he he is a good player, no two ways about it. But uh, you know, as as a deal, it feels like United are reacting to their sort of current crisis in a way that isn't really long-term, you know? No, yeah. And long may that last. Spending crazy money on the guy mm. from Ajax, Anthony, like 18, 90 million. Is that happening? Maybe, maybe. Right. I mean, I think it's still alive. Um, so, yeah, I, I, listen, I look at what was going on at the clubs and I feel quite content about what Arsenal are doing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'd rather not see Oba turn up on the other side of London, but it does feel very much like something that could yeah happen. <laughs> yeah it's so disgusting that it will probably yeah. happen one of those one of those on the discord greenkeeper jhb says good uh, morning gentlemen in the preview podcast lewis spoke about gears in the side and you mentioned this as well in the in the first half uh, in the in the game against uh, bournemouth we never looked like we left second gear how or when could you see us really needing to shift through those gears well, we've not been behind this season as yet. And mm. that that's a situation that uh, has been testing for us in the recent past. Yes. And I think that's when we'll learn more about this team mm-hmm. because that will happen at some point. Oh, um, spoil sport. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I think then we'll see how we deal with that adversity and how we're able to, you know dig deep um but uh i i we've, you know we, 
we've been relatively comfortable. I mean, we were mm. more comfortable against Leicester than the scoreline suggested, I think. And at Palace, when things got really sticky, we got the second goal for the cushion late on. Mm. Um, so we've had a relatively serene start to the season where those gears have not been hugely needed as yet. But yeah. I'm sure bigger tests are on the horizon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. I mean, that is one of the things that we want to see progress in, isn't it? The the reacting to adversity or... or um, Going behind, like you say, turning around a deficit in a game was not something we did a great deal of last season. I think it only happened once. Was it the Wolves game where um, we fell behind and then came back to win? I think over the course of our Arteta's tenure, it's been a little bit of an issue. But, you know, you do feel like, A, we've got the players on the pitch who can who can produce. And when you look at the bench yesterday, I was looking at that bench going, that's nice. That is a, oh, yeah. That's a very nice bench. I mean, just let me uh, go back very quickly here and just look at some of the benches on the uh, for the final couple of games of last season. And, you know, there were a clutch of young players on those benches who, you know, were never going to get on the pitch. Um, Charlie Patino, Zach Swanson, um, Omari Hutchinson, who's now at Chelsea, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some, some guys, uh, A. Kirk, who's A. Kirk, Alex Kirk, Alex Kirk yeah, who's yeah. now, a, you know, he's on loan at Air United. Yeah. So yeah. that, that'll tell you, you know, how the, the bench even has changed. So if we do need to shift through the gears or go up a gear or two in a game, I think we've got players uh, who can do that. And, and also players on the bench who can do that too. So it's, it is encouraging. Um, even if you, you know, if you uh, laid out that doomsday scenario of us, not going ahead in every game <laughs> classic me so classic negative right um, I try and keep you in check but it's just not it's so not difficult possible. I know Simon King on Discord says question on Eddie and Ketia we've seen in the past he can be a capable Premier League striker but needed a couple of starts to get going at the end of last year do you think he'll get more significant opportunities from the bench or even the start of games before the Europa League and the EFL Cup games so he can get settled no I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Really I mean, either. how? look, with all due respect to Eddie, how and why would you change Gabriel Jesus? You know, and, and let's be clear about this as well. When Eddie and Keddie assigned a new contract, was it before or after Gabriel Jesus signed? I can't remember. But like... I think it was before. But right. Yeah. But everybody knew that that was going to happen. And he signed that contract in full knowledge that Gabriel Jesus was being brought in as our most high-profile signing of the summer to be given the number nine shirt, to play as the number nine, right? So I don't think Eddie can really expect to start games in place of Gabriel Jesus when Jesus is performing the way that he's performing and, and producing what he's producing in those games. I do think that is a fair point, though, about a run of games, a run of starts, and, and what he produced. Um, you know, when he did get that run of starts in the... In the uh, in the Premier League, when when Lacazette was dropped, and I do think that's a fair point, but I'm pretty sure Eddie uh, and Mikel Arteta and and the coaching staff have had those conversations with him about his role, and I think when it comes to Europa League group stages, he starts those games, and he'll start the he'll start the EFL Cup game when whenever that draw is made, you know, and these are the moments where he's got to produce and push because. To get into the team ahead of Gabriel Jesus, or even maybe alongside Gabriel Jesus, 
he's got to show what he can do in those games. Um, and his, his finish to last season was very, very promising, but that's just a little platform, a little step forward. And now he's got to do it again this season, you know, with that new contract and with that responsibility and everything else. But um, just know there's no way he's getting in the team ahead of Jesus, even if it would be beneficial for Eddie because it's not the right thing to do by the team. Yeah. I, I he, he might get, you know, slightly longer substitute appearances, you know, 20 minutes rather than 10 or whatever mm. it might be. But I don't see him starting before those cup competitions get underway. I just think what we have at the moment is functioning really well. Yeah. Um, and I don't sense there being a great appetite to disrupt that. Right. Let's um, just do a couple of quick ones to uh, finish us off here because we'll get this podcast out for people to listen to on a, a Sunday afternoon. I like this one from my boating arm on the Discord. Is it acceptable for your girlfriend to scream, shut the fuck up after your 1,000th rendition of the Saliba chant? No, it's completely unacceptable. Out of it's order. A, it's out a dumping offence. <laughs> There's one relationship put to an end. Well yeah. done. Um, Donnie Kong Jr. said, how much tequila could a Saliba tequila if a Saliba could tequila Saliba? It's quite tongue twister, isn't it? I got that all in one. Pretty good. I don't know, but I think they're going to have to start selling tequila on the Emirates concourse, you know. <laughs> yeah, we got a, a, our new tequila um, partner. Um, if the marketing department at Arsenal aren't already fucking reaching I'm out sure to them. I'm sure they're on it, Andrew. They don't miss a trick. <laughs> I think that would I think they have to be, right? Yeah. Um and okay, final one. Jay Tazzy said, if Saliba is tequila, what alcoholic beverage slash shot best represents all the other players? I'd like some in-depth analysis on this. Wow. Okay, that's a good question. Um let's pick let's pick um a few players just do three or two or three or whatever. Like what what alcoholic beverage what shot would be Aaron Ramsdale? I think he's like a pint of lager, really. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like uh, that's what I think of. Maybe that's just because, you know, you not I'm be sort a of being very Anglo. Pint of that. a pint of bitter from one of those, you know, old fashioned pumps where you have to like, oh. yeah, <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas I think, like Odegaard is like, I guess he's like a fine wine, right? Yeah. White wine because yeah. of the hair, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, Jesus. Could be like a, um, I suppose. What's the Brazilian spirit cachaça that you uh, oh, make a yeah. make Strong a caipirinha out of? Like our three, um, our three Brazilians, um, they could be the uh, the caipirinhas of the team for sure. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, I feel like Bukayo uh, Saka could be something like an amaretto or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Very sweet and delicious. <laughs> uh, granite Shaka, some kind of schnapps that yeah. tastes like petrol. Yeah. Petrol schnapps. Petrol schnapps. My favorite. Mm. Mm. Um, but yeah, I what about Kieran Tinney's obviously a whiskey, right? He could be a scotch. Yeah. He could be a scotch. There's, um, I remember going to the wedding of a Scottish guy um, in Barcelona, a guy I worked with, and he was getting married, and we went to the went to the wedding, and they did a round of um, Scotch whiskey. Uh, it's called Lafroig, I think that's how oh, you yeah. pronounce it. 
it is the most disgusting thing I've ever tasted in my life. It's like licking the top of a battery. I know, I know many I people I can't like get into that. I know all, many but. people like that kind of peaty, peaty kind of taste, but yeah, I bet not, Kieran not Tierney likes it. Yeah, but would Kieran Tierney not be like, um, Buckfast with a shot of vodka in it, or <laughs> yeah, maybe <laughs> Red Bull and Iron Brew or something? I don't know. Yeah, Iron Brew, Red Bull, yeah, yeah. vodka, vodka, Iron Brew. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to think. Of any more really who would be like a vodka like a clear spirit um ben white yeah maybe because you know the white nice i like it i like it i think we've done this one to death to okay we, we had a good go we had a there. good go i hope that was in-depth enough um for jay tazzy so uh, thank you for the question. And thank you to all of you, as always, uh, for being here, for listening, for downloading, for subscribing. Do give us a rating or review in your podcast app of choice. That would be great. Stick with us during the week. We'll have some stuff for you on Patreon for now. Have a great Sunday, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.